1: When I was in the fourth grade at the probably the peak of my fatness, there was this new girl that came to school named Annie Bernhard, right? And she was like just from out of town, and everybody had a crush on her. She was athletic and super cute, and everybody had a crush on her. And one of my buddies had a crush on her, this kid named Evan Hatch, and he was a super skinny, athletic kid, and she wanted nothing to do with me. And uh, I could, you know, this is the first time I realized I could impersonate people. So my buddies and I, I would call Evan as her on the phone and talk for like, I don't know, an hour, two hours. My buddy's laughing, and I'm just talking like her and being like, "Wait, wait, did you do any day?" Just all, and he never knew. And then finally, I told him at lunch one day, and he was like, "Bullshit!" And I was like, "Oh, really? You don't think that she's been?" And he was <laughs> like, his, I'll never forget his face."
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. So great to have you here. So, so excited about today's show with Adam Ray, one of the funniest, young, great comedians out there who also is a tremendous actor in film and television. And one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. But before we get started, I just want to thank you guys so much. I really appreciate all your support. I'll say it over and over again. And if you want to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Instagram and Twitter. And as I always do before I get started, I want to introduce my guest. And this guy, you're going to love him. Such a great, great young man. Adam Ray was most recently seen on HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm in the Netflix film Game Over Man from the creators of Workaholic. He recently wrapped production on the upcoming season of Arrested Development for Netflix as well as season two of American Vandal, also for Netflix. This fall, Adam can be seen in the Jennifer Lopez comedy Second Act and on the HBO show Ballers. Adam was also a cast member in the reboot of the sketch comedy franchise Mad TV for The CW and played Joey McIntyre's manager on the pop network show Return of the Mac. Adam is also known from his last two movies with director Paul Feig starring opposite Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy in the buddy cop The Heat and in Spy with Melissa McCarthy as well and last summer's reboot of Ghostbusters, in which he voiced the iconic character of Slimer and played a supporting role as well. Adam co-hosted the comedy game show Separation Anxiety on TBS with comedian Eliza Schlesinger, and has guest starred on Two Broke Girls, Workaholics, Silicon Valley, and At Midnight adam has been the voice of conan for the past two years and has been featured in cartoons and animation like trolls rick and morty and super mansion and this fall voices the talking horse swift Wind in the DreamWorks show she streaming on netflix Adam is also a regular on the Adam Carolla podcast, but also co-hosts a popular About Last Night podcast with Brad Williams, which has welcomed guests such as Melissa McCarthy, Dana Carvey, Susan Sarandon, Nick Swartzen, Adam Carolla, Tony Danza, Jason Derulo, Neil Patrick Harris, Jeff Garland, Joe Coy, Whitney Cummings, Mark Marin, and Kevin Nealon, just to name a few. And his hilarious sketches have garnered over 30 million views on YouTube and can be viewed on Funny or Die or on AdamRayComedy.com. So without further ado, please welcome my guest today, a guy who every time I see him, I feel like hugging him. He just has that kind of great energy. Please welcome, very honored to have him here, Adam Ray. Thanks, Bear. What a movie star name, Adam Ray. <laughs> it's so funny the amount of
1: people that have asked, like, if that is a stage name? And I don't think it's anything special, especially because I was supposed to be Rachel Ray. They couldn't see, they couldn't see my cock on the uh, <laughs> on the sonogram, and uh, and so they they thought I was going to be a girl. Like, legitimately, I don't want to say for months, but for a while, yeah, it wasn't that visible and then you know now obviously like i just can't hide it no (laughs) but it uh so my mom was it was gonna be rachel and rachel ray and then she even uh wanted to name me sam once i did find out i was a a boy and my dad was like fuck that i don't know if that was his i'm probably paraphrasing but he was like no thank you maybe i don't want that and then uh and then they, they settled on adam but it seems like a very just normal name to me but so many people like you just said have said to me like that, boy,
0: was that your, what was your real name? You always are this huggable, lovable guy. I always feel great around you. But I always think about something in the opposite way and I don't think about it in terms of you. And I'll share what I'm thinking. If you're a comedian in this business, like you're a comedian actor, and if you're a comedian and an actress, And you happen to have the looks that, let's say, the equivalent to you as a woman in the business. Everywhere you go, you go out with a producer to talk about a movie. Five minutes in, he's reaching for your hand. You go to an audition and there's somebody telling you, oh, you're so beautiful. What's that you're wearing? It's like you're constantly, as a woman who happens to be good-looking in this business, figuring out, does this guy think it's a date? I'm here for a business meeting. I'm here to get this role. Right. On the opposite side, how does a guy who's the equivalent of the girl, when you go into a town, or even if you stay in this town, and in the scene and outside of the scene, the people in the audience... How do you handle things? Have you ever been in a situation where there's like a disclosure situation where you go to a meeting with a producer, with a woman, and you're like, something's going on here that I don't think should be going on? Yeah. Um. Wow. Interesting question. First of all, I... You know, I, I
1: don't... You know, I was... A, I still operate with, like, the mentality of, like, a fat kid, which I was. So I don't even... I'm always leading personality, trying to first. And, uh, and, and quite frankly, I've never even been consi- and you're saying like the upper echelon of like <laughs> not terrible looking comedians. I've never, in all the lists and conversations I've ever heard, I've never even been in those. But, uh, but finally I am with the Barry Katz list. I appreciate that. Can you name five people who are better looking than you? Sure. Who are they? <laughs> oh, boy. Chris Lee is a <laughs> sexy man. Um, chappelle right i mean well, how do you get i don't even know how to gauge this like oh boy but yeah but i just i've never i don't think i've ever got won any job or thing because of that at least i don't you know for for again i just don't think in terms of that you know i guess there's certain parts you might go out for that i know i've even lost where i haven't uh been you know as as good looking as the person who got it or what whatever the part was but um yeah, I don't, I've never put myself in a position or whether it's meeting or off stage, to, uh, to feel like I need to, um, it's probably because of the way I was raised with my mom where she just put this overwhelming amount of like pressure of being a good dude and not, you know, having a dad around to maybe slice in with some like, you know, really male, uh, aggressive advice but i was always just so timid around women and that's you know changed obviously as i've gotten older and just more comfortable when was the moment of change seventh and eighth grade is when i really slimmed down and just became and i was always a confident happy kid because i just i just was at school i would love to make people laugh and do impressions and tell stories and and uh and then i didn't you know i didn't realize that i had a problem with the weight until people would say something about it And so because to me, it was like, all right, well, how does it why would it matter if I'm the way I am? What did they say? uh, Just a lot of teasing. Kids are so, uh, you know, absurdly clever with their nicknames. And uh, I mean, just fat cuts to the core. That's uh, it wasn't until like I had good friends say things that really it struck a chord because then you're like, oh, I thought you were the few that were like on my side and and didn't see me. In that way, you know, uh, and hung out with me because you liked me making you
0: laugh. How did you slim down in seventh or eighth grade? How did you know to diet in seventh and eighth
1: grade? <laughs> my mom got a lot of uh, shit from her folks growing up in Ada, Oklahoma. And so she never wanted to hassle me about weight stuff. And uh, then my bar mitzvah was coming up. She goes, you can't wear sweatpants at, uh, during your bar mitzvah. And I was like, <laughs> why not? I'm not with that attitude, you know. And, uh, and she was right. And so I basically... Uh, you know I was always super active I just started eating better you know stopped double fisting Pop-Tarts and dipping them in Cool Whip and, and, uh, which is still an amazing by the way fat kids make the best potheads when I was in college and I would yeah, get high with other uh, uh, kids in the frat and we would just make these stony concoctions I remember I once put a Costco muffin in between a Pop-Tart in between some ice cream in between a cookie and was about to take a bite of it and one of my buddies just goes you were a fat kid weren't you <laughs> right before I took a bite he's like only a fat kid would think to do what you're trying to pull off and so I slimmed down and, you know, a fat kid going on a diet spreads like wildfire. Like all the teachers were just like, why aren't you eating all these snacks that we have at these parties, you know, for the end of the school year? And then uh, I slimmed down and, and I dropped weight real quick, like maybe 40 pounds over a summer. And all the parents uh, of of my friends that I knew were just all, I mean, they were all just taken aback. And again, I didn't really change. It didn't change who I was. I became more confident, I think, because. What happened
0: with the girls?
1: Uh, Yeah, that I mean, they definitely showed more interest. Yeah, obviously. And then that just would obviously probably took my uh, sense of wanting to perform and entertain and make people laugh up a notch. Because yeah, then once you see, because there were, look, when I was in the fourth grade at the, probably the peak of my fatness, there was this new girl that came to school named Annie Bernhard, right? And she was like, just from out of town and everybody had a crush on her. She was athletic and super cute and everybody had a crush on her and one of my buddies had a crush on her this kid named Evan Hatch and he was a super skinny athletic kid and she wanted nothing to do with me and uh, I could you know this is the first time I realized I could impersonate people so my buddies and I I would call Evan as her on the phone and talk for like I don't know, an hour or two hours my buddy's laughing and I'm just talking like her and being like wait wait did you do come any day just all and he never knew. And then finally I told him at lunch one day and he was like "bullshit." And I was like, "Oh really? You don't think that she's been?" <laughs> and he was like, his, "I'll never forget his face." But like the laughs that I would get from my buddies were just like it just fueled some fire. And I wasn't doing it out of spite. It was you know, it's not like I was like this is what you get for because she picked you. That was the first time I was like you know, aware of, like, the reactions I was getting from doing something funny like that, and that just made me... So, again, so not to do it for the girls, it was just like, oh, I want to keep chasing this feeling because people started seeing me as not the fat kid, but the funny kid. And that was way cooler.
0: First girlfriend was when?
1: Uh, sixth grade.
0: How did that happen?
1: Um, oh Boy, we think we just met obviously at school, and then uh, just decided that we <laughs> wanted to or no maybe some it was a friend's birthday party and uh her name was janet matta and uh can you think of any janets that you know like your mom's friend maybe like that's a very yeah rare name uh and we would talk on the phone like just for hours and fall asleep on the phone it was very just like you know seemed so romantic at the time i don't even think we ever kissed we kissed once maybe which i yeah because that was my first kiss I oh, know. The first kiss was fifth grade and that was one of my sister's friends with tongue. My sister's two years older. So this was what a seventh grader. And I was in fifth grade and my sister like had her over and, and then my sister like went to sleep and I was downstairs watching TV. And then her friend was just like, have you ever kissed somebody before? And I was like, no, I'm like double fisting pop Tarts. <laughs> like I've kissed the pop Tarts. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And then she's like, well, you want to try? And I was just like, You know fifth grade I think you know I remember being obviously like intrigued and into it and being like you know starting to you know get uh excited by the idea of uh you know that and uh man it was an aggressive kiss I'll never forget that you know it was just like so much tongue and I like didn't know what I was doing and I I think I even started like coughing at one point while she was kissing me and and uh and then my sister came downstairs and was like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> like, she, her friend was just like, I was trying to show him how to get And so she was like, why? He's fucking 10. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. I was like, you want the Bob tarts?" I feel bad. You want you want to get something out of this? Um, but yeah, it's obviously like confidence that, you know, and that just helped with me feeling more um, comfortable in my own skin as far as like, um, making people laugh and doing things and you realize too at that stage in life there aren't a lot of people that are thinking in terms of making people laugh further than that you know like a lot of people that joke around in class or do th- funny things but the amount of things I was doing and not paying attention in school just trying to make people laugh after a while you just have people telling you like oh hey you're gonna be this or you're uh, these the funny ones you know you just start to that all starts to resonate to a certain degree and and um, but not. But it still wasn't even until the end of high school where I was like, all right, maybe I'll go to L.A. and and try to do acting, uh, stand up and and comedy wasn't even really a focus. It was just like, you know, I'll go to L.A. and just try to get in the movies. I guess.
0: So you're using humor in the beginning yeah. to diffuse the people shitting on you. Yeah, and
1: parents divorced, like all that. And my sister being a little off the wall and having to go to a girl's school. And, and so, uh, all through eighth grade through high school it was just my mom and I. So that's why we became, you know, best friends and enemies at the same time, just cause it was just us through a very, you know, um, crucial time of becoming, uh, a person and a man more or less. It's like, mom, I need you to wash my basketball Jersey and, and get my lunch ready, but also like, leave me alone. I'm i I'm a man. I'm 17, you know? So like that push and pull, um, which uh, I wouldn't have it any other way, because uh, you know my mom's just a, a rock star uh, in that way. But yeah, all that stuff. I think I was so, and I think that's why I am so glass half full with most things in my life now. Even though, again, it's the business. It it uh, you are not doing it right if it doesn't pull you down a little bit, you know, because that that means that you you uh, you want things so bad that uh, that the the feeling of not getting it sometimes or not getting into a place where you want to be can eat at you, but I, uh, I've i always been able to deal with, you know, whether it was the teasing or my folks' divorce and all that shit, just putting on a happy face has been my way of dealing with it. And um, I've never been to, like, any sort of therapy for any of that stuff, which I've had, you know, girlfriends or even my mom at times being like, you that because, you know, but I just, I've always just, I don't want to say suppressed, but just, you know, um, figured it out on my own, you know. And been like I don't want to spend a lot of time rehashing or discussing things that were so it's like I moved on from it. It's like why would I want to even talking about it now? It's it's fine, but I this is I don't have, you know, monthly or even yearly conversations about these topics because I'm just like, yeah, that happened and I and it was shitty, but I even during that time was able to find the uh you know, the silver lining. It was like, "Oh my folks, but oh, I still get to see my dad." Okay, well then obviously you get older and you realize like the effects it had on your uh, on my mom specifically and and that eats at you a little bit but then again my mom is so you know uh such a rock where she's just like yeah she's like but then that's how i met you know, my stepdad now and and this and she's like things happen the way they're supposed to she's like i don't you know she's like yeah there were some shitty times i went through and i wish i didn't but you know she's like thank god i had you you know so
0: so you've always been a glasses half full guy? There was I think never so. a point in time, even in the darkest moments where you were glass half empty. Like... A few, yeah.
1: The the teasing took a toll at one point where it was uh just a little too much, you know, where uh I don't I don't think I ever I mean definitely didn't have like suicidal thoughts, but as close to that as you can come without trying to uh you know, actually try to pull something off but you know, and, and not even just i I couldn't uh i had maybe other than my mom like one friend who didn't ever uh you know participate in the uh the world of, of teasing and and it's even just the smallest things that you can just blow up when you get uh hit with it as a kid and you just don't know yet that there's you know you can't see it from their side of like oh you feel bad for them because they're lashing out because of something else you're just like absorbing what's coming your way and it gives you this kind of you know glass half empty uh mindset of oh man is it is it just always going to be like this because this sucks you know but then you realize oh cool i can do something about it you know i can eat better and i can you know make some changes but you need people to instill that in you and again my mom didn't for a while because she was like uh i don't want to you know bully you with that type of uh Uh, message because my folks did it to me. So she's like, I just want you to live your life. But then finally, you know, you have uh, enough conversations and breakdowns. And then she's like, okay, well, I'll help you with this. Let's, I'll start buying better stuff and do this. And then you can actually make the changes, but you can get yourself so down. I think everybody, even at, at this stage where you just feel like there's no way to fix what's happening. And, uh, I think I was able to, uh, do that sooner than later so that I didn't stay at a place of just, you know, constant, Uh, feeling bad for myself you know but again I was so happy unless somebody said something about it I was so like you know that's why in my act I talk about being quick fat as a basketball player I was fucking I was the tallest kid in sixth grade and shot the three like I that's why I was so convinced I was gonna go pro I mean I was just dominating we played this all-black team for the championship in Linwood Washington and we hadn't played an all-black team all season and these guys were like Just We got matched up in this tournament, and they were unbelievable, right? And we had maybe three good players on our team. We had this point guard, and then me as this David Robinson, Shaq, fucking Reggie Miller combo. And I remember I hit this crazy-ass turnaround jumper sky basketball. just played nonstop. I just loved it. And again, being a big dude, so nobody could really bottom me up down low. And then I shot the three... And uh, and I remember I hit this like crazy turnaround skyhook with like four seconds left, and I'm running down court. And we it put us up by like you know uh, six, right? Four seconds left, and I'm running down court. And I just hear one of the dads of the opposing team go, "Man, that fat motherfucker's killing us!" <laughs> I was like, I was like, "All right, well that guy's you know I message received. I you know he's not you know I'm a fat motherfucker, but I also am killing you guys." So it was like it was kind of a double edged sword where I was like complimented and harassed at the same time but also it was and all the parents laugh but also like this dad had been screaming the whole game was just that fired up coach dad and here I was like I took it way more as a compliment because I was like I got some skill sets like I made this black that like you know and I just always thought I was like man if they made a movie about quick fat like Samuel Jackson for sure would play that dad you know man nobody told me we were playing quick fat you know (laughs) But I was, you know, that, so was, that was your nickname. Quick Fat? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But so, again, I didn't. It was I was able to participate in sports like that and still be, you know, uh, successful. So, again, it was the weight thing wasn't an issue until, uh,
0: you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. There's tape of that somewhere, by the way. And every time I go home, I forget to look for it. And I know it's it's one of those things where I've seen it in the past like 10 years and I'm going to find it and it's. You might even be able to hear it in the background on the tape, which would be unbelievable, you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So do you think growing up in a home where your parents are having problems and then they're not together, do you think that plays into how you live your life personally with women?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely made me... I've definitely never... Look, I've had three long distance relationships which i didn't none of them started out long distance they all like um well one did from college it was actually high school and then we both moved down to uh, la she went to santa barbara i went to usc so we were only like an hour and change away and then one was at college and then she ended up moving to new york and then to reno and then one met in seattle and she was up there and i was in la and I I never that seems like the worst thing to do because it's love gets you through about a year, maybe just because you miss each other so much. And I think that is healthy. And then somebody has to compromise. But that's, you know, not having a relationship in the same place. I always wonder, like, you know, is this, you know, because I enjoyed it to a point because I've been always so uh, work driven and putting myself in career first. But then I was still able to have somebody that I cared about and I, I like being in a relationship, but, um, but then people would always say like, but how much do you, because you're, you're obviously not in the same place and seeing somebody twice a month isn't a way to, to build anything significant. But yeah, definitely seeing that as a, as a youngster, like what my mom and dad had, like had and didn't have, like, it of course plays a, a role in, in how you view just relationships when you get older. Are you
0: the dumpy or the dumper?
1: Um, I've been both. Um, I guess more so the dumpy. No, dumper. Yeah, two out of the... Yeah, the first one, she basically was just like, I'm moving back to Seattle or staying in L.A. when we graduate. What should I do? And this is, you know, we're juniors in college, and I'm just like, I, you know, I can't... um you should probably go back to Seattle because I just can't, like, we're, we're what are we, tw- 20, I guess? 19, 20, no, 22 maybe? I'm just like, there's no way. As much as I was into that relationship, I just had enough forward thinking to be like, that seems crazy to to just lock down right now. <clears throat> and again, because I was so, there were so many things I was already missing out on because of the relationship, and I think that's one thing that I, I see, uh, you know, family members or young people that I know, I don't try to discourage them from being in a relationship that young, but I, I go, man, just make sure that you know that you want this and that there aren't other things you're thinking about because you don't want to feel like you didn't fully go for it. And even, you know, I have friends, parents who I've talked to since then who have like split up as they've gotten older and who got married super young. And they're just like, so regretful about like the things they missed out on. And and I think that's why I, I just, in so many aspects of my life now, whether it's, you know, uh, going on a cruise to open for the, my, the, you know, my buddies and the new kids on the block and doing things like that, that are so crazy and not something I'd ever think to do. I, I try to just always soak that up as much as possible, not only for life experience and, and to take advantage of being able to do that now, but, you know, and then for the, the material on stage, you're always thinking in the comics mind, uh, in that regard, but just, I never want to feel like I'm, uh, missing out, you know, which I think is a healthy perspective, Obviously, sometimes you spread yourself too thin. I, you know, I think that's always been a blessing and a curse for me. Is I want to do it all in all aspects of the career too. You know, podcast, stand up, acting, and hosting. I want to do it all. And I think sometimes I could probably benefit from some, you know, uh, stripping down of of how many things I'm doing and try to lock in on a few. At least that's what I've been told from. But again, from friends who are do or doing that. But then that's because. And then I step back and go, well, you're saying that because you can't do all that or you choose not to, but maybe you could. And also I've gotten to where I am because of the way I've done it. But I think it's healthy, right, to get to a point to where you start to, you know, not doubt, but question like some of the moves you've you've made but then quickly meet that with okay but I'm only here because of that like my mom always tells me like I wish you would sleep more I wish you would do this and take more do this I'm like mom I'm not where I am because I did that like if I had listened to all the times you said don't go do your shows tonight and go home and sleep or go to your friend's birthday party and take a night to just be a person then you know I wouldn't be uh you know wouldn't be here
0: Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to Berrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey, everybody. I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment, and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store i have one at my house and office and everyone who uses it orders one and you should too just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code barry and if you act now you can get a hundred dollars off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. And never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. I just wanna share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the Air Doctor. The air inside our home can be up to 100 times more polluted than the air outside. But with the Air Doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Hundred dollars. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. Tell me one thing in your career that you question you're doing the right thing or you did the right thing well the uh
1: <clears throat> you know up until recently you know the the podcast that i do with brad is uh one of the most fulfilling things creatively just that i've ever been a part of or experienced and for many reasons the the um the friendship that i've built with with brad williams and uh you know this business is so uh flimsy and fickle and there's so much uncertainty and i think too quickly we are just have, um, you know, these, these work hustle goggles on that you can forget to really t- take time and, and recognize that like building relationships through all this is not only great for the, um, you know, the, the career, uh, networking aspect, but the stability and the, the amount of times I've confided in, in the handful of friends I have about things and not even just pouring your heart out, but having somebody to lean on, like we Everybody needs that, and and especially it's I think even more significant when they're in your business and coming up and doing it like you're doing it. There's just a, a greater understanding, and and having somebody like Brad to do that with, um, and the the podcast has been something that came out of nowhere and has created a lot of great opportunities. Um, always growing and building, it's one of those things like stand up where it's it's never done. You can always. And I, I preach this with Brad all the time where I'm like, there's always more we can be doing to grow it. There's always more you and I can be doing to uh, get more people to not only listen, but just to what we can provide content wise and what we're doing in the, you know, it's easy just to sit back and be like, Oh cool. We're enough. Like you know, just to have this conversation, but really being cognizant of like the show that we're doing and what it is. And, and I think we're, we're turning a corner with that in a positive way, but you know, Brad, I guess I'm getting back to your question, uh, questioning. There was a a moment about um, a little less than a year ago, and we were really firing on all cylinders doing three to four uh, episodes over maybe two days, maybe almost five or six a week. And because I just was like, we need to turn this up a notch and put out more content and just be doing a lot more. And it was exhausting, and I think for both of us, it was wearing on the friendship. and uh, And I think the pods were not suffering because I think we both are professional enough that when we show up, we we knock them out, and we have a lot of fun. We're very present all the time, which is uh, not easy to do. Just to really lock in and and listen and be, despite what's ever happening with your day, good or bad, to be able to just put that away, you know, and uh, and sit down and lock in with somebody and have a, you know, a, a great conversation and and know that you want to make something amazing for people that are going to listen to it. But Brad, uh, it became a little too much. And and so he, uh, uh, you know, pulled the plug basically and was like, I'm just done. I can't do it anymore. And uh, it was a pretty big like gut punch because... Did he sit down with you face to face? No, and that's, you know, he sent an email which was really... Unlike him. Unlike him, yeah. And and it's it was a really... It was definitely one of the most heart wrenching things I think I felt in uh, my time just in the business and even in in life, because, again, I have, you know, I feel like I'm very friendly and personable. I, I would say I have a lot of people that I consider friends in this business and a handful that really I. Uh, you know, would just about do anything for, and I consider myself a pretty loyal person that way, and would go out of my way to do and or pick up the phone at any time, or go if they needed this, or go to the hospital, whatever it is. You know, help with money, I've done that with a handful of friends, and and um, and he definitely is one of those people, and so that really like made me not only question, you know, relationships in this business, made me question what I was doing. But you ask like if there's a time where you question what you're doing, and I go. Well, maybe this, uh, you know, a lot of feelings went through my head. A, first and foremost, it wasn't even the pot. It was the friendship, you know, like I, I go, man, I, I, why you wouldn't sit down with me first to talk about this? Because again, immediately understanding, I didn't freak out. I read it being like, oh shit. But then I'm like, all right, well, I'll get on the phone. We will talk about this. So you immediately call him up, immediately call him up, but no response. He doesn't pick up. No, no response and no email texting. And it was, went almost the whole day without getting a response. And again, I'm I'm a very I have so much empathy and sympathy and understanding and I give benefit of the doubt, probably too much.
0: I always say to people when you get a text from somebody that pokes you. Yeah. Stop yourself from responding. It's great advice. Just don't respond. Yeah. Just wait. Yeah. And then when you think you're ready to send something, wait again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you responded back each time he didn't respond, were you like the fuck, dude, or were you like, hey, listen, whenever you're ready? I
1: went, th- I went through all the emotions, uh, an immediate what the fuck, and then, and then the more that more time that went on and there was no response, I grew angry. Uh, because then you did you, you tell him you were angry? Yeah, and I and it was starting to show through my text, <laughs> and uh because then at one point you go, I go, look, I don't even care about the podcast, like friendship first, baby, you know, like this is I care more about that, like, but also I know that, it, and this is again one of the benefits of having like the relationship that we have and being able to, like finish each other's senses and just being so on board like with, and that's what's great about the the podcast that we're you know obviously still knowing that. If I say or do anything, I know he's got my back and vice versa. And that's a pretty rare and special thing to have between not only friends, but somebody you're working with creatively. And uh, and so I was just like, I know that once we talk about this, whatever it is, like like people and brothers and friends that will work. So but to not be given that opportunity and no response, then, you you know, then it starts to shift to, OK, well, now this is a, a real big slap in the face. And this is uh your this is uncharacteristic, but. You know, I know you got your phone on you, so this is at least a I need some time. Whatever, and then finally that came through. What came through? He texted back. He texted back that I I need some time. I've been doing this, but I need to whatever. And I said, fuck that. I go meet me here in an hour. You know, and uh, and he did. He did. Yeah, and he did. And we. This is by the way, after a whole day had gone by, and again the the email thing was so. Daunting and not like him, but and, and threw me off. But then I, it was a mass email to the other people
0: that we were working with. It was a mass email. Yeah, yeah. So you're driving to this place for your meeting, and very hurt. he I, he probably. I mean, look, we we immediately hugged,
1: and I mean, I almost got like teary eyed because again, it's like you have a handful of people in your life that you really care about, and I and I I got so upset that like again, I felt like I was because there was a part of me in reading these emails and the silence that was uh being thrown my way that i'm like oh i think i the podcast i will figure out what i'm gonna do with you know and not stop and put in too much time energy and money and and
0: but i'm like a friend i just lost as you're driving over there yeah. normally what i believe most of us try to do is we visualize the goal that we want to have happen yes was your goal to just Stay friends was your goal to stay friends and keep the podcast yes, All of that, yeah. And when he was driving over, did he ever share what his goal was? No, uh,
1: he just uh, he, uh, I, I first spoke very, I, I was like, I have to let him know how I feel about the way that he handled the situation
0: and treated me. So you go uh, there, you walk in, you immediately hug before you say anything. Yes, you sit down, and you chose the tact to highlight and summarize all the things he did that pissed you off briefly or- though
1: but and also with a smile like because and what i learned from this because i i had throughout that day you know sought out advice from some fellow comics and friends and a lot of them uh were on the uh side of fuck that that's re- fuck that and like you don't need that and whatever And that's, if someone's going to do that, blah, blah, blah. And clearly that's, you know, true colors, whatever, all that bullshit. But I'm like, all right, well, that's, you're you're unbiased and outside of it. And you're not tied to it like I am. But I think one of these things, and what I learned from this is how much ego can uh, just destroy so much and get in your way. And I could have been like, fuck you. And this is like, what a bullshit thing to do. And just said that and then been like, peace. And I wanted to say that. But. Again, my goal was, uh, you know, I you have these flash moments where I just see all the good times we've had. I know what we've built together. Don't want that to stop. But also, like, the amount of just fun that I have, I don't want that to stop. So I go, let's figure out a way that that you feel like you can still be a part of this that isn't exhausting you and and life changes you know with getting married in a house and all that that had contributed to him wanting to to stop but i go i don't think the move is just pulling the plug i think it's us figuring out a way that works for both of us and and then i you know i, I take up a, a lot of the load of of how the podcast uh, functions and i go i'm willing to take on more if it means you staying a part of it, but you summarized how you were feeling for sure, and, and he heard what it. did he say He said, "I'm sorry, he goes I know he goes it was shit. he goes, if I could do it again, I would not have
0: and the next thing you say, probably I'm summarizing is that listen, I want to create a better relationship with you from now, on. I don't want to lose my relationship, yeah, and I want to sit down and figure out a way where we can keep doing the podcast, and you can feel safe and comfortable, yeah. And how did you come to that solution at the end of the meeting?
1: I I went in with that. I toyed. I went actually went back and forth. Probably on the drive over. Uh, Well, before I got in my car, maybe at least it wasn't too far. Where I was like, it's either try to, you know, put a band aid on this and and keep jamming along, or pull the plug. But I didn't want to give him the option to do that. So I just went in with like, how do we make this work? I don't want to stop doing it. and he was very receptive to that, and it you know took some massaging, but once we sat down and you're talking I mean, to me, just face to face interaction is how to handle any sort of thing. But and that's you know I was like, man, if we if we had done this last night, we wouldn't have even had to go through all this heartache. But,
0: but there's no such thing as all of a sudden. Yeah. What were the qualities that you were exhibiting that were making him feel like he didn't want to be your friend or your podcast partner anymore? And I don't believe that it was just like, hey, we're putting more shows in the can and doing more work. There had to be something else. Yeah,
1: well, it's and we've talked about it before and uh, that we have, you know, you are your own boss for all of this, I feel like, right? Like you got people in your corners with reps and everything to do stuff, but you always got to be the one driving the uh, the train, the ship, whatever it is for your uh, your career. And especially with what we're doing with the podcast, we don't really have bosses and you're, you got to hold yourself accountable. And, uh, and I think just in the relationship, it ended up, it's you know leaning a little bit towards me as far as being, uh, the one to check us both on like how much we're doing and what we're doing to move things forward and to push the needle. And, you know, there's times when I didn't want to have to like posting certain things or, uh, or, or, you know, just what we're doing, like these reminders where I almost became like, You know, uh, where the business and the friendship was getting a little too uh, close because, you know, we'd be hanging out. But then there would be these business related things that I would definitely feel that I was like nagging him on, you know. And I could feel that the weight of that was starting to become a little too heavy. And I didn't want to be doing it. But again, you're like, this is we have to we have no one telling us to do this. We have to do it. And so. I know that that was a build over time and, uh, and I didn't, and so this again gets back to questioning something in your career and what you're doing. I go, is all of this worth it? And am I, and am I putting in too much into, uh, something that is causing more, um, pain and damage than, than it should be. But then, you know, you step back and just reassess and readjust and that's what we've done. And, 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 I think it's better than ever, the podcast, and the, the opportunities that are now coming our way for it are, we're, we're locked in a little bit more as far as like what we want to do and how we want to do it. And and uh, like I was saying earlier about doing too many things and spreading yourself too thin, I think we've found a way to continue to do it at a high level, but, but um, you know, just uh, instead of trying to do, you know, 15 shows a week, doing a few and just making those great and doing more stuff around that uh, and having those, you know, videos and extra things we're doing be at, at, at top quality. But, you know, it made me step back for a lot of things and, and be like and, and look at myself and how I was treated because it's a two way street. Like, you know, like you said, he had to be feeling something. So I go, what am I doing? That's you know how uh insensitive am, am i and there's the way that you word things and and come at it and again you taking advantage of that comfort level with a friend that you might just be saying something a little and timing there are times when i remember we would get into it and he'd have a three delayed flights coming from pittsburgh to somewhere to this and that and then land to a barrage of texts from me being like blah blah you know and and i was like man i hear that like fuck i would be super pissed if i you know woke up to that or whatnot but uh But at the end of the day, you just, you know, you you come at a place, uh, come to it from a place of, I want us both to win. We're on the same team. And and, uh, I think once that was understood, which it's understood in in a heartbeat because, you know, when you know somebody that well, it's, you don't really have to say too much other than,
0: are we good? You know? What would you have done if the meeting ends? You guys hug it out. Yeah. He pulls back from the hug, and he says, listen, I just have one more request, Adam. I want to change the name of the podcast to About Last Night with Brad Williams and Adam Ray. (laughs) What would you have said? Uh,
1: I mean, I would have said, fuck you all, find another midget. (laughs) (laughs) Can't believe you used the M word. Yeah. The amount of Jew dwarf jokes that we have slain back and forth is... uh, You know, and that's (laughs) by the way, I think that's a true that was a true uh, barometer for when the friendship went up a notch when I could on the podcast. If he'd say something like make a pretty derogatory uh, joke about me being a Jew and then me to be to fire back and say, fuck you, midget, Uh, that. And we both laughed. I was like, this is something special.
0: (laughs) All right, I want to go way back. Take me back to where you grew up, the socioeconomic dynamic of your household, the money situation.
1: So I grew up in Seattle, Washington, Lake Lake Forest Park, Washington, which is about 25 minutes north of the city. And uh, really uh, good, normal childhood. Uh, Folks were, uh, you know, married up until I was about nine years old. And, and, you know, good, uh, did sports and Cub Scouts and like all the... uh, kid stuff i you know i've uh, gone back and looked at videos of like old birthday parties and my mom was always very much like trying to give like that full kid experience and then you know unbeknownst to me did you you know did i have any idea that her and my dad were married for 20 years and she says you know 10 were good uh we were just not having a a good time from the moment you were aware of anything you noticed
0: they were arguing all the time a little bit I would hear the fighting from my room a lot what do you do when you're a kid and you hear the fighting do you go in and say could you please stop fighting no I would go out
1: and play longer I would just stay out later because I didn't want to be around it I was that was my way of dealing with it I just uh my sister remember has a much clearer uh memory of all of it and and you know as even you know my dad like i think walking out on her her birthday party at one point like she's got
0: very vivid walking out on your sister's birthday yeah, party or mom yeah mom's... yeah i don't think if he
1: it was him that wasn't like when he left but just uh, just you know she just remembers a lot more uh, details of things and i think i either uh, a combination of being too young i mean i remember you know obviously you hear arguing and fighting and door slamming and all that but i would just go to a friend's house or leave or just stay out later so that I could avoid and come back when I knew that I was going to probably miss out on that. It was maybe, <laughs> you know, too late for the fighting to be going down. Uh, and that's kind of how I dealt with it in um, in uh, middle school and high school when I before my sister got sent away, when my sister and mom started laying into each other uh, and just not seeing eye to eye because and you know, my sister was just falling into these bad crowds and just uh saying kind of fuck off to everything and uh, how old were you then i was so my folks split in 91 so i was nine and then we uh moved not too far away it was just my mom's sister and i and that was so when i was like 10 and 11 is when things really she was how
0: old sister was 13 and that's when you notice that stuff happening after yeah. the divorce so the divorce was more crushing to her than it was to totally her. again I think I was just like oh we still get to see him we're just in
1: different houses like I just it didn't fully I didn't truly understand how devastating that that maybe should be you know uh, um, and even being around my dad and his new wife and and the kid so that your dad got married right away Pretty quickly, and had another kid who I just officiated his wedding, who's now my half-brother and very uh,
0: close with. Did you think at the time, or were you too young to think, boy, dad must have been fooling around? Did- didn't really, didn't
1: process it, and I think didn't want to process it. I, but I, th- I think more didn't really understand. It was just, it felt very uncomfortable. I knew that. Did you like her? I pretended to. And I, and I did for the sake of wanting—I've always been this very, um, for sure, people pleaser, but wanting people to be happy and be comfortable. So I knew that if I went to my dad's place with uh, his new wife and showed signs of uh, being uneasy with everything, that it was going to make him feel bad. And so I didn't want to do that. I had that realization at, what, 9, 10? I just was like, I don't want him to think I'm not okay with this. So I just would treat her as if it was, I mean, I, I remember just being very like almost excited to see her and be like, Oh, what's going on? And just very, and just and, oh, happy and help around the house and just do everything. And my sister was the opposite where she was just like, fuck this. And we'd get in fights with my stepmom and just be very much like, this is not okay. And this is fucked up, you know? And, uh, and that's why I ended up becoming like a peer mediator between my mom and, and sister at nine and 10, because then we'd go back home and my mom trying to do it all and she's dealing with this, you know, kind of chaotic, the divorce is one thing. And then you see a, a new family starts right away. Like now as an adult, I realized how crushing that was for her. But at that point, I'm just, I couldn't really fully understand why it would be so sad. I was like, yeah, but mom, you're still, you're, you know, not thinking about her wanting to find somebody else and all that. And I was so- Did your so, mom talk
0: negatively about your
1: dad? Yeah, they both did. You know, they can't help it. Not, not a ton, you know, but- couldn't, couldn't help it. And you, and I would, um, just try to ignore it or, or stick up for them a little bit. And, and it, man, it's just such a, uh, weird thing to go back to right now, first of all, but just to even be a part of like, I, cause you know, you, I grew up very quickly because of that. And so my sister was so crazy at home and it was making my mom, uh, you know, really on edge. And and uh, so at 9 and 10, I would, if they were in these fights and doors would slam, I would go into one room and talk to one of them, go into the other room, talk to the other, and then, like, bring them in the same room and smooth it over like some fucking child therapist. And uh, because, again, I just wanted everybody to be, you know, uh, not, so I didn't want to be around that energy, and I didn't want to be in a house that was so... I didn't want people around me to be unhappy. I didn't like seeing that. That's like the worst thing for me is to see people that I care about upset and and, um, untaken care of and just not happy. Do you remember the first time your mom started dating? Mm -hmm. I single-handedly ruined probably three relationships from being just a little shithead. I mean, the first time I saw her kiss a guy that wasn't my dad, I was leaning outside my window, probably still double-fisting Pop-Tarts, and I just screamed stop and then i called him like every curse word i could think of which was not a lot i think i called him like a boner a boner titty bitch or something like a you boner cock fag you know something like something just i just named all these words just out the window i remember him just looking up being like did he just call me a boner tits bitch like what is this your kid's dropping pop tarts crumbs on my head well he's you know and And uh your mom say when you did that get out go and you know and and then she came in and i mean she's such a sweetheart she came in and saw me just sobbing um because i was you know that was the first time i was like oh man like that why what are you doing and it was so weird because i was so i guess not okay with it but trying to be okay with it for my dad but then seeing my mom i was i was very uh not okay with it and and then she came in and you know instead of being like you know, stop being so insensitive. I need this. He's out there. He's got a whole family. Like I'm got to try to, you know, she just, she understood and was so sympathetic to me being so distraught about that. And then kind of telling me that like, Hey, like I got to put the pieces back together too. So this is, you know, um, but she could also recognize that I was not a fan of that guy. And so, you know, she moved on and uh, she, you know, she dated some pretty uh, interesting dudes that were all, you know, cool in their own right, but, uh, I definitely, you know, prodded the, uh, um, you know, poked them a little bit and, and probably got a few of them to snap at me that, and then she snapped at them. And, and because I was like, fuck this, like that was my way
0: of being like, I'm not signing off on this guy. You know, what was the first guy that came into her life that you actually were like, well, this guy seems like a nice guy. My stepdad what did he do differently what if your stepdad had you to look down and he was the one kissing your mom oh boy i don't know he wouldn't be your stepdad anymore yeah
1: well there no there was one other person but it it was not so much it, it was yeah definitely a combination of this person not trying to do too much even as a kid you can recognize like don't try to like impress me like just this is weird enough like i don't you definitely need to not dismiss that i'm here and i'm i am the man of the house you know as my grandpa would tell me and uh and so you know i was almost like these the guys that she would date knew they kind of had to get my approval you know but the one, there was a one that just didn't try too hard to do that it would, and it was just there was something cool about him you know um and he, I think he let me borrow his saxophone to go to, I went to a music camp and my, I played the clarinet for a few years and my mom was like, I would love it if you learned the saxophone. And so I took his saxophone to like music camp, but then it was like, I didn't open it until I got there and it was like, the, the reeds were all busted and like, it was fucking, it just smelled like shit. And it was just like, and this, I was like, fuck, this guy gave me like a, like a knock, like a piece of shit, like a fake saxophone. I don't even think it worked. And, uh. We are taking it out for the camp, and and the guy even teaching me was like, he's like, do you need to borrow a saxophone? I was like, my mom's boyfriend gave me this. He's like, I think I'm learning too much about you, man. You want to try the flute? And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, then, you know, I got older and just more comfortable with the fact of my mom wanting to be uh, with somebody else and be happy. You know, like when I was in high school, it was just her and I, and I'd be leaving to go to a party, and then sometimes I wouldn't even leave because she'd be sitting there. By herself, watching TV on a Friday night. And I'd be like, all right, I'll see you later. She's like, go do your thing, have fun, whatever. And then I just wouldn't leave because I felt so bad that she was by herself. So I just would not go to the party. And I'd stay with her. We'd watch TV. We'd do something. Maybe we'd go out, you know. and, uh, And that's when I was like, oh, okay, she needs to like, you know. But she was so involved with all my sports, with all my... With the, you know, the theaters uh, department in my high school was a huge deal. And she would come and paint sets and help with costume. And she loved it. You know, she just was living, as she says, vicariously through me because she always wanted to be in the entertainment business.
0: And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners starting with Wondery. Check out their lineup of some of the greatest podcasts in the world at Wondery.com and Aquatru, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get a hundred dollars off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry, and start enjoying the best And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system, which will change your overall quality of life and instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And finally, Boku Superfoods, the purest, most potent, and delicious certified organic kosher and vegan superfood blends on the planet. Boku Superfood is changing the game for thousands of people in 65 countries with their incredible formulated powers that you just add any liquid to and make the healthiest drinks or smoothies in the world. Just go to BokuSuperfood.com. That's B-O-K-U, superfood.com. Look for the three-pack trial. Enter the promo code Barry at checkout. Just pay a minimal shipping fee and get a full week's supply of Boku Superfood for free. I guarantee you'll look and feel better and understand why Boku is the number one family-owned superfood company in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming thursday and here's a preview of the next episode
1: there's always a reason to get bummed out about something or to find something to depress you or to um uh, to get bitter about or to compare yourself to somebody or or find a reason to uh, think that you know you should have gotten something or that you're thinking that you're going uh, in a in a direction that's not you know conducive to to living a a happy life and uh, a glass half full approach has always been my view for everything on and off stage
0: thank you so much for listening and have a great day as always this has been industry standard with me barry katz and if you like the show tell all your friends and if you don't like the show tell all your friends
1: you get all the money.
0: Drive that fancy car. All the people love you. Cause you're going for life. is for the dreamer.
1: They have all to gain. It's never quite over. So it all feels
0: Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes
1: or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com.
0: Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.